As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I am your host, Josh G. And today I am joined by, he's not only a filmmaker, he's also written books about filmmaking and also dabbles in the fiction world of writing as well. Please welcome John Gaspard. Gaspard? Gaspard, 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 either way works. Okay. Hey, Josh. All right. How are you doing today? We're doing really well over here. We're up in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. I'm down in South Carolina, so. Beautiful state. All right. So I know you have, talk about what you've written recently, anything you have coming up. Well, on the fiction side, I have a a mystery series uh, called the Eli Marks uh, Mystery Series, which is about a magician who occasionally stumbles into solving crimes. Uh, But the latest series I'm working on is called the Como Lake Players Mystery Series. And that's about uh, community theater in St. Paul where uh, the occasional dead body turns up and uh, the executive director there, who's also an actress, uh, steps in to solve the murders. So that's what's going on on the fiction side. On the nonfiction side, I have a couple of filmmaking books that uh, involve talking to filmmakers who've made or written uh, low-budget movies and what they've learned making those low-budget movies. And supporting that, I have a blog that comes out every week with interviews and then an occasional film podcast that I call, cleverly, the Occasional Film Podcast that uh, has interviews with filmmakers talking about their process. Okay. All right. So that can be just found on any audio platform or is it YouTube? Yes, it's, uh, uh, it is on, on YouTube. But yeah, any place to listen to podcasts, you can find the Occasional Film Podcast. Okay. And how about the books? Where's the easiest way to find them? Are they I'd go to Amazon. Word? I'd start on Amazon and just search for John Gaspard, G-A-S-P-A-R-D, and you'll find all the all the stuff there. There's an author. It's called Author Central, and you have your own page on Amazon and it lists all your books. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got you. I've had an author on here before, and you have to search his name with books because his name is Mark Anthony. And if you don't uh, put the books beside it, it's going to bring up the artist. A lot of music there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the musical artist, yes. He's got a different last name. Like, that's just part of his name, but you, he, he makes sure to put in there, comma, books. Well, I might have I might have uh, given that a second thought <laughs> before <laughs> I did that. Yeah, I don't know why he went with his first name and that, like, he went with all three names, but yeah. maybe I'll have to ask about that. All right, John. You took me to a movie that I'd always heard about, but never yeah. watched. And we're going back to 1971. Talking about Harold and Maud. Harold and Maud met at the funeral of a perfect stranger. From then on, things got perfectly stranger and stranger. Paramount Pictures presents Harold and Maud, starring Ruth Gordon and Bud Court. Harold, he loves to hang by his neck in the family drawing room, float for hours in the swimming pool, face down, and drive around town in a custom hearse. Maud, She loves to steal motorcycles from policemen, liberate canaries from pet shops, and paint mustaches on church windows. Harold and Maud, he's in love with death. She's in love with life. Opposites attract. Harold and Maud. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out, 
And if you want to be free, be free. In color rated GP parental guidance may not be suitable for pre-teenagers. You know, it's been so long since I've met someone who'd never seen it before. I'm really curious as to what you thought of that movie. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I went in thinking this was about some elderly couple. And turns out I was half right. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man, this thing, this thing blew me away. Like even, even uh, I won't give away too many thoughts. I'll let you get into it. But I will say when I rated this on my letterbox, I literally put up, it'll be hard to find a movie that tops this for my end of year discovery list. Cause wow. I like to do. Yeah. Like this movie, this movie was something else. Not something like, and it's funny and I haven't even seen it, but I've heard the complaints about licorice pizza with the yeah. mm-hmm. older yeah. girl with the younger boy. And I'm sitting yeah. there going, how did this movie ever get, get going? <laughs> this movie's 50 years old and it's way different than that. Well, you know, there's a couple of reasons it got going. Um, uh, one uh, would be um, um, uh, Mr. Evans at Paramount who was in charge of production at that time, Robert Evans, uh, who's quite the character, um, was really open to working with uh, different kinds of movies uh, and working with smart filmmakers. You know, he was doing The Godfather uh, around that time as well. He had just done Love Story. And the script came in that this uh, student, a film student, Colin Higgins, had written. He'd written it as a short, and he was... Uh, uh, as part of his uh, making his way through college, he was living in the pool house of a film producer. So he would clean the pool and do other errands. I think he took the, their daughter to work and he showed uh, the wife, Mildred Lewis, this short that he'd written, Harold and Maude. And she said, A, this is really good. And B, you should make it a feature. So he rewrote it and uh, into feature length. And her husband, Mr. Lewis, uh, liked it and took it to Paramount and sold it. Just like that. Doesn't happen like that anymore. <laughs> I can't imagine somebody who had no film credits, no screenwriting credits, getting greenlit to uh, have his screenplay, which was based on nothing except his own imagination. There was no previous book or anything. Uh, they bought it and they attached a director to it. Originally, Colin Higgins, who wrote it, wanted to direct it. Uh, and they gave him some money to shoot a test, and they decided he wasn't quite ready to direct yet. He wouldn't direct for a few years after that. And it went to one of the best filmmakers working in the 70s, a guy named Hal Ashby. You might remember Hal Ashby from having done Being There. He did Shampoo, The Last Detail. Um, He started as an editor and became a director, and, and it's because of this combination of a really brilliant script with a really brilliant director who had started as an editor and knew how to keep things moving um, that I think Harold and Maude became uh, the classic that it is. Right. And, and I mentioned that I watched it for the first time within the last week or whatever, since we've been talking, but when did you see this for the first time? Well, um, there is a story in that as well. For anyone who is a big Harold and Maude fan, they might know that the movie ran for over two years at one theater here in Minneapolis, a theater called the Westgate Theater, uh, which has uh, since been torn down. But in you know the early 70s, this was kind of before there were multiplexes. 
So there were little theaters. There was a Westgate theater about a mile away. There was a one screen theater called the Edina Theater about two miles from that. I think I think at that point there were uh, there were a couple theaters uh, in the suburbs that had two or four screens. But most theaters were just one screen and you'd run a movie for two weeks and then the next movie would come in. Well, in the case of Harold and Maude, um, they kept getting good crowds and good crowds and good crowds and they kept running it. Um, it, it kept making money. There was no reason to change it up. And so uh, over two years later, they finally did um, move on to the next film. But it was something of a, um, well, the neighbors weren't happy about it because their local movie theater only showed one movie, so they couldn't go see anything else. But it allowed people who loved the movie to see it again and again and again, to bring their friends to it. Uh, it didn't really become a Rocky Horror thing in which people interacted with the screen, but you could tell in watching it that there were people who knew what was coming and were anticipating it and people who were entirely surprised by things that happened. And at that time, I mean, you know, we said it's 50 years ago. It, if you saw a movie in a theater, you didn't see it again until it was on TV if you were lucky and you didn't see it in its unedited form. There were some revival houses where things would pop up, but it was really hard. It was really hard to see a movie more than once, once it left the theater. And in the case of Harold and Maude, people could see it again and again and again at this one theater. In fact, there was one young man who uh, went so far as to see it, I think over 150 times in the two years it was there. I didn't see it nearly that often, but I saw it a lot and really, really liked it. I'm thinking I was probably about 14 at the time. I could ride my bike to the theater. Uh, and it really had a great impact on me. Uh, it was so funny and so emotional and the music was so great and the cast was so great that I was just blown away by it. And I'm sure that when I saw it for the first time, I saw it on like a Saturday night with a packed house, uh, which is really the best way to see that movie, particularly if, if you have people in the audience who haven't seen it before and aren't aware of what's about to happen at certain points in the movie. Uh, so it really, you know, it had impact on me when I saw it and then I had the opportunity to see it again and again uh, much like today, where if you have a favorite movie and it's on streaming, you just turn it on, you watch it. Um, I could kind of do that at the Westgate. I, whenever I felt like having a Harold Mudd fix, I could ride my bike over there and see it. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, with it being there two years, how many times did you see it? So you said a lot, but you probably don't know the exact number, which I, can I don't, I don't know the exact number. No, it was, uh, it was a lot. And then I was at, at the at the time of its two year anniversary. Uh, Paramount brought in the stars Ruth Gordon and Bud Court to do sort of a PR thing where they uh, went all around the city and then they showed up that night at the theater. And I was a film student at the time. I was taking uh, a special film program for high school students where you do regular school in the morning and then you'd go off to this film program. And so I had access to a nice little Super 8 sound camera and microphone and stuff. And so I followed Ruth Gordon and Bud Court around the two days they were in Minneapolis and made a little documentary about it i can send you a link to that if you want it's up on youtube and and also had got to have dinner with bud court because i knew the local film critic and he was having dinner with bud court and he invited me along so I mean, that sort of cemented my love for the film right there being able to talk to to bud and having a little bit of interaction with ruth okay yeah i actually watched bud court for the first time probably two years ago when i watched brewster mcleod yes <laughs> yeah it's a movie he made right before uh, Harold and Maude. He had just done MASH with Robert Altman and uh, 
he stuck around and did Brewster McLeod, which was a very hard film to find at the time. A lot easier now. And uh, a very, well, what did you think of Brewster McLeod? I mean, it, it was a strange little movie. It was one I caught on uh, TCM Underground where they show the, the rarer films, if you will. I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's quirky, though. It's quirky it is. thing. <laughs> it is. And I think that, coupled with Harold and Maude, kind of got um, Bud Court a little bit typecast. Uh, he never quite broke out of it until he got a little bit older. And he's done some Wes Anderson stuff since then and a, a lot of voice work. But, you know, it, it really cemented him as the oddball <laughs> youth to go to. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't realize I didn't pay attention to the years. I didn't realize they were back to back. So, yeah, I could see see that typecasting him so back to Harold and Maude for anyone that doesn't know give that brief synopsis not don't give away everything I don't want to give away everything on this one I want people to seek this out and go see it but give that brief synopsis of what this is about sure it's it's the story of Harold who's a uh, a, a rich young kid probably around 18 19 years old uh who is very lonely and um but very rich he has money he can do stuff and uh, he stages uh, fake suicides to get his mother's attention. And he also attends funerals. Those are the things he likes to do. And at one of the funerals, he runs into uh, a 79-year-old woman named Maud, who also likes going to funerals, uh, but for different reasons. And she sort of latches onto him a little bit because she just has that way of gathering people. And um, he is sort of confronted with, here's a, a woman who loves life, and he's sort of embracing death, and and she sort of teaches him uh, a different way to look at his life. Did I? Does that sound about but yeah, like what think, you saw? Right. Without getting, yeah, I don't want to give too much away because this thing yeah. goes some places that you're not going to see coming. At least I didn't see coming. Yeah. So yeah, I want that. To, I want people to go see it. But so you've talked about getting to have dinner with Bud. What else is it about this that keeps you coming back to this movie? Well. It's beautifully shot by John Alonzo. It's just beautifully, beautifully shot. The idea of using Cat Stevens' music was inspired. He had created two songs for the film, but everything else was already existing, and the film was edited to those songs. Um, it's not unlike when Mike Nichols stumbled onto uh, Simon and Garfunkel's album and was using that while editing The Graduate and ended up keeping all of that. Um, it's it was a really good marriage of the the music uh, and the visuals. It's a very funny movie. It's a very touching movie. It's it's just really well realized. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like here was an idea that Colin Higgins had, and Hal Ashby took it and uh, made it his own, but also kept what Colin Higgins wanted uh, thematically, uh, and you know made a really great little ninety minute movie out of what had been, I think, when they did the first edit of everything they shot, about a three-hour movie. And he just honed it and honed it and honed it. And it's um, it's such a great example of just bringing together all the tools of filmmaking, the scripting and the acting and the music and Hal Ashby's editing. Uh, it, and I just, I find something uh, either new in it every time I see it or am reminded of something I forgot how, how wonderful it was. Yeah, I can definitely... See that I look I look forward to watching this one again because I will and like that now I'm going with the more of a backstory because I didn't know any of that. I hadn't I didn't know any of that. So that's why that's why I get guests who love the movie. <laughs> they're gonna bring stuff to it that I don't know about it, you know, because I'm just watching it. 
you know, I thought I knew everything about the movie because I've studied it over years. And I recently uh, chatted with a guy who wrote a book about the making of Harold and Maude, and that'll be on my podcast later this year. And he had access to the original short script that Colin Higgins wrote. And uh, Ross, if you remember the opening of the movie, uh, I won't be giving away much of it's just the opening. Harold walks into a room, crosses it, we're just following his feet. He turns on a record. Uh, Cat Stevens starts singing, Don't Be Shy. He crosses to a desk. He sits down. He writes a name tag. He puts on the name tag. He crosses over to a stool, gets on the stool, kicks the stool out from under him, and he's hanging. Um, and it's all one shot. And that was exactly the scene that Colin Higgins wrote when he first wrote the short. It never changed from what he wrote uh, into uh, what Hal Ashby shot, which is remarkable. I can think of only one other movie, and I'm sure there's lots more, but I can only think of one other movie where the original script was just taken from the screenwriter, handed to the director, and the director shot it, and that would be Ed Wood, Tim Burton's film, which apparently was pretty much a first draft. Well, I don't know if I call it first draft, but it was a, the draft that the writers had turned in and they thought they were done. And normally in Hollywood, that's not the case. They do rewrite after rewrite. In the case of Ed Wood and in the case of Harold and Maude, nope, they just took the script and they shot it. And that's uh, pretty amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so good. It didn't go through a lot of hands. It just went from Colin Higgins' brain to Hal Ashby's brain. So this next part gets... A little tricky and definitely not the kind of movie you'd want to have done with it. But that, of course, is where I ask, what would you have liked to seen in a sequel? Now, that could be the distance sequel or back in the 70s. It's, I normally put it back in the time frame. Well, Harold is, is clearly different at the end than he is at the beginning. I wouldn't ever want to see a sequel, but I would imagine if a sequel were to happen, they would do some sort of reverse on it where Harold teaches someone else how to live and they find a different situation and a different character and and he would bring some of the things he learned from Maud into that but just like uh, just like when they made Arthur 2 Arthur on the rocks um sometimes it's just a good idea not to the the story's done uh at the end of Arthur the story is done at the end of Harold Maud the story is done and we don't necessarily need to do a George Lucas revision and come back and say, no, no, I always intended there to be nine stories. I always intended there to be nine stories. And that was just number four that I started with. No, that's not true. <laughs> I, I just don't think a sequel would be a good idea, I, nor do I think it needs to re, be remade. That being said, after it was made as a movie, Colin Higgins uh, wrote it as a play. And I believe someone also wrote it as a musical, but the play does get performed from time to time. And I, I would be interested in seeing that and how they put that on stage, particularly since it was written by, by Colin. And so he would have put in the stuff he wanted, but no, let's, let's not do a sequel. Okay. Well, you know what though? You referenced it and you know, I'm going to ask it. And that is if they were to remake and make, well, you haven't, I guess you haven't seen the play version. I have not No, but I'm sure the play is exactly the movie just with a little bit more of Maude talking. Okay. <laughs> okay so I guess, if they were to remake it, who would you want to see play Harold and Maude? Who do you think could pull those off to, in this day and age? Oh, boy. <sighs> That's really tough. I I, I mean, you just your mind just goes to, well, okay, who's the oldest, best actress we have right now? Maude is supposed to be from Europe, so would you go Judy Dench? 
And see, I was thinking between her and Helen Mirren, and I think Helen Mirren could pull off the quirkiness of Maude. She could. She just, Judy, you know, no offense to Dame Judy Dench, she just seems older than Helen Mirren. I don't know if she is or not, but she seems, I mean, Maude has to be pretty old. Um, you know, Maggie Smith doesn't have the warmth that you'd necessarily want for it. And as for the young Harold, I, I'm just so not up on young actors right now that I, I just don't know uh, anyone in the late teens who uh, who jumps right out. I'm sure your listeners are yelling right now <laughs> at the speaker going, well, no, it's so-and-so. And I'd love to hear their thoughts, but I, I just don't have any idea. What right. they'd probably do is they would do a, a, a sex change and have the Harold be a, a young woman. You still keep Maud as Maud, but you could you know look at it from that perspective. Okay. Well, if they did that, would you have anyone? I don't know. I don't know that age. I'm not good with that. I don't age know either. that age. I don't know. I don't know that age either. I'm I'm a typical older person. It's like I have no idea what's going on with younger actors. They all seem like made up names when I read them in the paper. Like, what's that? Who's that? I have no idea who that is. Uh, to be fair, most time when I have people recast younger actors, they go, uh, someone from Stranger Things. <laughs> that seems to be the go to. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, yeah, as long as it's not David Harbour, which wouldn't make any sense at all. No, no, no. They go into child <laughs> actors from Stranger Things, not Dave. Yeah. I was yeah. just proud that I was able to pull a name from Stranger Things. Winona's Ryder's in that, too, isn't she? I yep. get that one right. Okay, so I got two of them. Yeah, see? All right. All right, John, here's what I want you to do. Anyone who hasn't seen Harold and Maude, maybe someone who needs to go revisit Harold and Maude, give that final pitch on why they should take a chance if they haven't. Well, it's only 90 minutes, so you got that one for you. Um, it is 50 years old, but it doesn't feel 50 years old. Uh, it it uh, it doesn't look like an early 70s movie. Um, and uh, my, my wife uh, wasn't as big a fan of movies when we got married as she is now. And I had trouble sometimes getting her to watch movies from the early 70s because they often had a, a gritty, not great looking aesthetic to them sort of rough around the edges. Um, Harold and Maude is as shiny, sparkly new today as it was then, and even better if you see it on the Blu-ray. Uh, it is it is captivating. It is uh, involving from the first scene. Uh, it is a terrific performance by every single person in it, some whom you, you never saw again, or you rarely saw. Uh, Harold's uncle, Charles Tyner, is fantastic. There's a British actor in it uh, um, named Cyril Cusack, who's a was a big deal actor, uh, particularly on stage, who plays Glaucus. And Glaucus has one line in the movie. Uh, he had more in the original before they cut it down. But every part is just beautifully cast. It's lovely. Uh, the editing is fantastic. Even Tom Skerritt makes a little kind of guest appearance, uncredited as a motorcycle cop. It's just so much fun and so surprising, uh, scene after scene after scene. And then it has a, a I would say a bit of an emotional wallop at the end that I didn't see coming the first time, even though everything you, when you look back and you go, Oh, they've told you it's, it's like the sixth sense. You go back and go, well, they told you every single thing you needed to know. And you just missed it along the way. Well, you know what? My, my thought was that was they're telling me this whole time. They're not going to actually do it because mm. now I don't think they would do it. I don't think they'd have the they guts to wouldn't. pull it off. They probably wouldn't. They probably would not. Because I agree, they give you all the hints. I just didn't think they had the guts to do it. But yeah. being that it's older and what they're tackling the whole movie, I guess, why not? 
And it's the 70s. And people in the 70s, filmmakers got away with that. They were able to do stuff like that because uh, because of people, you know, uh, like uh, 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 Evans at, at Paramount, where they just said yes. They said, yeah, go, go for it. Try it. And there's a lot of terrible movies in the early 70s uh, that you'll never see again because they they were an experiment and they didn't work. Uh, but the experiments that did work, uh, like Harold and Maude, are really worth uh, checking out. This one's on Criterion, right? Like this feels like a yes, Criterion. Yes, it shows a Criterion. It's, it is Ashby in general, but Harold and Maude in particular, are uh, he, he is a favorite uh, and the, is referenced a lot by like Noah Baumbach and um, um, uh, P.T. Anderson and um, people of that age when they make their films. Uh, it, he he clearly was a touchstone for them in, in terms of uh, quirky characters and the use of music. All right. I think that's going to wrap this one up. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your stuff, where to check you out, all that good yeah. stuff. Sure. You can find me on uh, Amazon.com. Uh, just uh, type in John Gaspard author. You'll see all the books there, the fiction and the filmmaking books. Or if you want to look at some of my movies that I've made, go to fastcheapfilm.com. That's fastcheapfilm.com. All right. And you can always find me at YNF Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Easiest thing, go to linktr.ee slash YNF Movie Pod. Podcast platform, social media, YouTube channel, my personal letterbox, so you can see what I'm watching that's not being covered on the show. And I'll be back next week. I'm not sure what's coming, but until then, you guys take care, and I'll talk to you next time.